0: Fortnite in Film is a podcast where every week you get the chance to listen in on a group of film lovers chatting about the great, or not so great, movies that we've been watching over the past fortnight. Hello and welcome to episode 38 of Fortnite in Film. I'm your host Jason.
1: And I'm your co-host George.
0: Thanks for tuning in. So, back on episode 21 with special guest Cam, uh, we did two Scorsese films and then an entirely different film, which was Gangs of New York, The Departed, and uh, George's Pick, Sweet Smell of Success. Uh, we're doing something similar today in that we picked, I picked a Scorsese film, you picked a Scorsese film, and we're doing a totally different random pick by Jacob. I was going to have us do a steward Totally scorsese famed episode, um, but I thought you know Jacob is new to the podcast. We'll let his sort of personality shine through. Let him pick something of his own volition, rather than yeah,
1: it's sort of, it's sort of like a trial. We need to yeah. uh, we need to see what he's what sort of films <laughs> he's going to pick for us. <laughs>
0: uh, and he's picked an uh, interesting one for us today, which we will get he into has. later. <laughs> yeah, um, so we will kick it off with uh, my pick which is Shutter Island, Uh, Scorsese, uh, 2010, stars Leonardo DiCaprio, there's a lot of other people in it, Uh, Mark Ruffalo is like his partner, Um, Ben Kingsley and Maximum Siddow are in it, Uh, Michelle Williams, and a whole bunch of other people. I mean, unsurprisingly, the stars came out for a Scorsese film. So the plot is uh, DiCaprio plays uh, a US Marshal called Teddy Daniels, Uh, And him and his partner, Chuck, who's played by Mark Ruffalo, uh, are sent to the eponymous Shutter Island off uh, Boston Harbor to investigate the disappearance of someone called Rachel Salando uh, from Ashcliffe Hospital, which is like an insane asylum. And it's set in the 50s, in the mid-50s. They get to the island and the main uh, psychiatrist, Dr. Cawley, who is played by Ben Kingsley, you know, uncooperative and doesn't really you know, give them access to the things they're asking for, and his his assistant, Dr. Nearing, who's played by Maximon Siddharth, who's like this older guy, he's also uncooperative, and you know, neither of them really want to help the investigation at all, and Teddy sort of goes out on his own, decides, well, if they're not going to help me, I will investigate myself, but he's actually, he he took the case for a separate reason, which was to uh, find somebody at Ashcliffe Hospital called Andrew Laidus who set the fire that killed his wife uh, Dolores who was Michelle Williams so he's he's there to find this Rachel Salando you know that's his sort of professional reason he's there but the personal reason he's there is to find this Andrew Laidus he finds out that there's this this lighthouse on the island where you know people are taken and lobotomized and and there's there's you know three different wards. There's like ward A and B, which are just normal. But there's this ward C where like I most mean, violent. People are, are kept. Anyway, so he ends up finding. Well, originally this Rachel Solando comes back, and uh, it gets to a point where you know a doctor calls us. Oh, she's cured. You know she's she magically fixed. She's she's returned and she's she's fine. Teddy does not believe that, so he goes hunting. And uh, he he finds the real Rachel Salando living in this cave. Um, And she, you know, she's the one who tells him about the lighthouse and tells him about the plans they have for people where, you know, the, the people running the hospital try and, you know, make people to be insane and they're doing mind control experiments and all this sort of stuff. In the midst of him trying to find the real Rachel and getting to this cave, he... Like Chuck falls off a cliff and he sees the body, but then the body disappears. So he thinks, "Oh, they've taken, they've taken Chuck to the lighthouse." And so he he goes to the lighthouse. He finds Chuck to the there, and Callie says, "Actually, you are Andrew Layus, and everything you've been doing for the past however many days uh, was all this elaborate role play that we set up for you and allowed you to." you know, run through as if it were real in hopes that you would, you know, break out of this delusion and sort of accept what you've done. Uh, because the the real Andrew Latus, who is Teddy, killed his wife because she killed their three children. Which obviously comes as quite a shock to Teddy because this whole time he believes and the audience believes that he is this... U.S. Marshal, which he was, I should add, it's not like he invented that up, he was a U.S. Marshal before all of this happened. So they say, you know, this is basically your last chance if you don't sort of break through now, you know, after we have done this elaborate roleplay for you, if you don't accept what you've done, because that's, he's never, you know, the point is he's never been able to accept this, and he's been living in this fantasy that he's, that he is still, you know, this U.S. Marshal. They say, if you can't accept this, then you will be lobotomized the film ends with teddy and chuck talking and you sort of think you know okay there's been a breakthrough he realizes he's andrew latest he's not this this teddy daniels etc as teddy and chuck are talking or as andrew and chuck are talking i should say he reverts back to this you know thinking he's he's teddy daniels and thinking that, you know chuck who is actually revealed to be his psychiatrist dr sheehan you know, he thinks he's still Chuck and, and he thinks he's still Teddy and they realise that, you know, he has regressed again that he's not, you know, accepted that he is Andrew Latus. So he is uh, taken off to the lighthouse and the film ends. But we are we are not seen obviously, you know, if he goes into the lighthouse or what happens after that, the film just ends with him walking to the lighthouse.
1: Very good job on that because it's quite Twisty and turny, isn't it? So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yes, it is a very it is a very twisty film. So, I gave it four stars. This was a rewatch for me. I had seen it many, many years ago, um, and I'd sort of had it at four stars already. So, it sort of retained that that same rating for me. I it did drop a bit in terms of like I probably wouldn't watch it again, but certainly I enjoyed rewatching it. Um, what did you think?
1: i'm basically the same as you um i watched it when i was maybe in my sort of early teens
0: yeah i was probably the same
1: and i sort of i had glimpses of it like i had i remembered certain shots and certain characters but i couldn't remember the full plot um but i did i knew the twist that he was actually a patient there. so did i yeah um but i didn't i didn't know the sort of ins and outs yeah um, I, yeah but I, I
0: was the exact same
1: yeah, yeah. But yeah, so I gave I gave it four stars. So same as you, yeah. I wouldn't rewatch it soon, and I wouldn't count it as sort of among my like sort of favorites. Even my favorites of Scorsese, but I think it's a really great sort of thriller, like psychological thriller. I saw some funny reviews that um were saying that they thought that Nolan directed it because it's actually it seems like a bit more of like a Nolan film. Um, because <laughs> Scorsese one.
0: Well, and it came out in the same year as Inception, obviously, which also started DiCaprio and also has this ending where you're like, you know, that film ends before the resolution actually happens. So you're left wondering what happened.
1: Yeah. Like, it's not a typical Scorsese film. Like, he doesn't do many of these, like, psychological thriller type ones. He more sticks to, as people know, the sort of gangster, you know, the gangster genre. But yeah. Yeah. I thought it was great. There were a lot of things I liked about it, technical stuff and narrative, wise. Um, I love the atmosphere. It sort of like slowly, like subtly builds up, you know. And like you don't know, you feel like you're going sort of insane a bit along with Leonardo DiCaprio with Teddy. Like you don't know what's real and what's not. I really like that aspect of it. Like it keeps you guessing the whole way, you know. Like it sort of the story. Reveals itself bit by bit, and it that can be difficult to do. But like Scorsese nails it, I think. Like because you are you either run the risk of revealing too much or too little, you know. But there's a good balance.
0: Yeah, well, and it's it's similar to, and I think this someone I'm about to mention is better than Shadow Island, but it's similar to a film that Jacob and I talked about on last episode, which is The Game by David Fincher. And I, and I said when Jacob and I were talking about it, that what the game does really well is it doesn't reveal too much. So you're getting confused with Michael Douglas' character just as he is, and you're starting to think what is real, what isn't. It's the exact same with Shadow Island, as you said. You don't know any more than Leonardo's character knows. So like you said, you're there thinking, oh, is this real? Is this not real? And, and you know, it's, it does that very well. But it's a very hard thing to do because... Like I said, a lot of films either give too much away where we as the audience know more than the characters, and it sort of ruins it, or we know nothing and it's just confusing for the sake of it. But when they can like get that balance of you're finding out stuff at the same time as the characters, but it's not, but it's enough, like it works
1: they they tease it quite well with you have the war flashbacks where you see Teddy at um I think it's Dachau concentration camp?
0: Yes, which I've been to actually.
1: Have you oh, okay? Oh, yeah, there we go. So you think, you know, you don't know what his past is going to sort of reveal, and then you have the dream sequences with Michelle Williams, who's his wife. Sort of like trickle, the sort of information trickles through. You know the story, like you, and the dream sequences going to keep you on edge as to why he's, you know, why he's imagining all this, all these things.
0: Oh, exactly. I mean, I, I had I had it written down here. It's hard to tell what's real and what isn't because of you have these flashbacks and these delusions and this imagination and, you know, you're as confused as he is and just, like, he's losing his grip on what's real and what isn't, you're losing your grip on what's real and what isn't. I mean, technically, as you said, score of cinematography, script, I mean, they're all fantastic. I mean, it's Scorsese, so of course it's going to be.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, it's obviously high, you know, it's it's high production values, Um, but Scorsese... He's obviously a master at directing in the dream sequences some of like the lighting and like the editing was like insane you know like when he's um when he's hugging his wife and like water starts to flow and then it turns into blood um and then she like crumbles and there's like fire happening and it's like the it like it looks amazing um and the whole like the atmosphere as well in sort of the real time i guess it reminded me of a lot of like noir films of like the forties and fifties, with um, like the, like the smoking and like the lighting and just the general sort of conspiracy atmosphere. It kind of reminded me of a lot of like Hitchcock as well. Um, I think Scorsese said that Hitchcock influenced this film a lot. Like he, he showed Vertigo um, to the crew apparently when they were filming to basically get them to like have the sort of sense of atmosphere and dread that Vertigo has as well. Um, so you can definitely see the sort of DNA of Hitchcock kind of interwoven in, along with those like noir films.
0: Might as well just turn this into a Scorsese and Hitchcock podcast. I mean, we talked about Hitchcock on the last episode. We've got Scorsese this episode.
1: But yeah, it it does. It feels like a Hitchcock film at times. You know, you have the sort of lingering, the sort of lingering dread and like the sort of suspense. I mean, Hitchcock's the master of suspense. Um, but I feel that Scorsese borrows a lot from him. Um, I mean, the
0: acting, you know, was great across the board. Leonardo, of course, as you would expect. I mean, Ben Kingsley was great. Max von Sydow, I've yet to see a bad film that he's in. Um, I wasn't particularly impressed with Mark Ruffalo, but...
1: He was serviceable. He was good.
0: Yeah, like, yeah, I mean, the other actors in the other, like, the characters that were playing made up for it, I didn't feel his character had a lot of depth or was very interesting when they were on the screen, but... That could have been the writing. I mean, I don't know. I mean I I I didn't think very much of his performance, but I mean everybody else would sort have of made up for it, which was
1: good. Leonardo DiCaprio with Scorsese always brings his A game, so you know, yeah.
0: I mean like like you, the twist wasn't as effective for me because i did like i said like you said i couldn't remember a bit i couldn't remember the full thing but i did remember oh he's actually the patient so it, it it wasn't as effective but i could still but there were certain details like i thought he was like teddy daniels but he was a patient i'd i i'd forgot that he was like andrew later so even though i saw the big twist coming even that twist within itself i was like oh yeah i totally forgot that
1: the part the part that i forgot was the f- why he was a patient like I couldn't like even I've forgotten the whole thing with his wife and the kids. Like, um, I guessed about that she had killed the kids, but I forgot that he had shot the wife. Like, I all those details were really hazy. I was surprised a bit, you know, by that. But uh, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you, like, do you think because obviously we knew the twist was coming, if you went in totally blind, do you think you would have guessed that he was a patient or no? there's something like a trope maybe of like all of like there's someone going to a to a mental institution and in the end you know most of the time they turn out to be there like something to do with that or a patient I don't know I was trying to figure out if I could have seen it coming
0: I mean I I don't think I would have because I think it was it was structured perfectly where I feel like the only time you knew he was a patient was when you got to the end and Ben Kingsley's character was like, you are the patient.
1: There was a clever scene, though, where he, you know, where he gets that really strong migraine for the first time and he, like, collapses into the chair and then um, Ben Kingsley, so the Doctor, and Mark Ruffalo, they're sort of standing over him and they clearly look like they're like, Doctor and, like, co-Doctor kind of thing. So that, they, but, but it's clever because you then think, oh, like, if you're a first time viewer it plants a, like a seed in your mind where you think that could be the case but then because he's so convincing as the federal marshal it's almost like is there a conspiracy like is is he going to uncover something
0: look i have a little couple nitpicky things um so one was you know the whole scene i get why it was in there but the whole scene of like him climbing the cliffs i'm like dude like you're like some Random guy in the fifties, and you're like, "What a professional rock climber now!" in the in the pouring rain. Like, come on, bro. <laughs> I've
1: got a line here which says, "Parts of the story need a significant suspension of disbelief, right. um, <laughs> but don't, but don't think too much about it, and you'll be fine." Yeah. Like it's stuff like that. where, yeah. you know, yeah, it is a bit silly. I
0: mean, that was that was the first moment because up until that, I was fully bought in. That was the first moment where I'm like, mm, "This doesn't really seem." Real, but up until that, I'm like, this is real. Um, and the other thing is just obviously, you know, when you find out that this whole thing is this elaborate role play, you know, I was like, cool, it like it, it works for the story and it's an interesting twist when my brain switched on, I'm like, nobody would do this for one patient. Like this guy, and, and, and like all he did was murder his wife. Like it wasn't like this guy was like a huge terrorist or you know, serial killer. It's one guy who murdered his wife who sort of justifiably, I mean, if if, if I had a wife and she killed for Georgian, I'd, I'd kill her too. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. So like, it's like,
1: when he did that, I was like, you go, man, like do it. Yeah, like go. <laughs> exactly.
0: I'm like, you going to all this effort for one guy who, who, is really not a threat to anyone. Like,
1: but, but, but Ben Kingsley. Well, I forgot his name. Is it Doctor Corley? Dr. Yes. Cawley? Yeah. He said he told Teddy that he was the most dangerous patient. in the Yeah. So and was, I was like, mm. it's like, why? Like, they're, they're, well, they have this running theme that he's this really like violent man. Yeah. Uh, because of maybe Dachau, the concentration camp. But then, but then he says he may not even have done anything there. Yeah. So. Like he doesn't seem like he's a very violent individual. Like that's a justifiable thing, I think. Somewhat. Yeah, I to, agree. I mean, to kill yeah. like uh, even if he did it in shock, you know, it's it's sort of justifiable. Uh, but I, I saw a funny review on Letterboxd as well, and it was like it was basically saying, "How did Doctor Corley convince the whole every single exactly member of staff, every single member of staff on the island?" And I kind of. I can't remember what it said, but it was like when your boss convinces you to stage an elaborate, like, prank for a week and you just want to go home or something.
0: Not just all the staff, all the criminals there too. Everybody. Like, you've got everyone to buy into. I'm like, these people are especially mentally insane. They're not going to buy into this whole role
1: play. I know. Like, you have all the guards, all of the doctors, all the janitors who just want to do their job. And they have to do this stupid role play for like a day and a half.
0: And it's like, and this is the thing too, it's like they have no problem lobotomizing people on the regular, but oh, we're gonna go to all this effort just to try and get a break with this one guy. It's like, no, you're not just just lobotomizing like everyone else. So like, if you
1: if you look too deeply into it, then yeah, it you know, it yeah, it kind of falls apart in that aspect yeah. of it a little bit. <laughs> but if you just take it as what it is, you know, it's fine. But I did find that quite funny, like the whole island. Has to play I know,
0: role, it's mate. like, <laughs> um, I mean, and my my final point would just be, I don't know, I found there was no great, like, payoff, you know, like, okay, you get the twist, he's Andrew latest. But like I said, it's like, I feel like, you know, anybody would, would husband or wife, anybody would kill their, their whoever if they killed their children, it's like a natural, you know, I'm not condoning murder in any sense, but I'm saying it's a pretty normal action. So it's like, it's like, it was a cool twist, but I'm like, okay, like, end. And
1: I guess the whole theme is about sort of guilt and like how you regress, like the reason he regressed into this personality of Teddy Daniels is because he was so distraught about his kids dying and he was so guilty about killing his wife sort of regressed into another personality um so that's the sort of theme i guess like dealing with your own personal demons and having to accept what you've done i guess
0: i mean and maybe that was why because i didn't really get the point of like including the dakar stuff like i didn't really get the significance of why that was like i didn't really in my mind, seemed to have a lot of effect on the main story. Yeah,
1: I think it was meant to maybe establish, you know, who he was in his past. Yeah, you know, they, these are sort of minor, minor things for me.
0: Yeah, 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 they're minor for me. It's not. It, it didn't really impact. Like, not, like, n- none of those things impacted what I thought of a film in terms of rating. It was just things I picked up on, when I'm like, hmm. at
1: the end, I was angry. Like when when he regressed back, I was like, oh, no, like, please, like, you've just. You've just accepted what's happened.
0: Well, in saying that, there was a lot of I saw a lot of stuff online about did he do it deliberately?
1: Do what? Do what deliberately? Regress. Oh right, yeah. In yeah. of
0: it, he he knew like people. I read a lot of stuff online with people saying he knew he was Andrew Latus, but he deliberately, you know, regressed in air quotes to Teddy because and and uh, I don't. Uh, I wasn't really his opinion, but a lot of people talked about that final line he said was to, to Chuck slash Dr. Sheehan, where he said, you know, what's worse, to live as a monster or to die as a good man? And and so I read a lot of stuff online of people saying like, oh, he wanted to like go out on his own terms or whatever. And like they were going to bottomize in in the end. I mean, I don't know. But yeah, it's, it's credit to Scorsese that we can have all these different, you know, viewpoints and analysis and conclusions because I think that's, you know that's the mark of an interesting film when you get to the end and you can have multiple. What if this? What, what if this happened? What if that happened?
1: And it kind of makes me wish that he'd done more of like horror or psychological thriller because there are some sequences where it's almost like a horror film. So, but he's obviously clearly talented at doing that. So I kind of i I want a full on Scorsese horror film. That's what I want. Like he needs to move away from, you know. Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. He needs to do a full-on horror. That's what I think.
0: I'm I'm with you. Um, There's still time. Yeah. Is
1: that yeah? He's still directing, so there is still time. We should do
0: like a petition or something. You know? Yeah,
1: make <laughs> make Scorsese make a horror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, we started on a positive note. Let's hope it continues uh, with your pick.
1: Yeah. So my pick is another Scorsese. It's called The Age of Innocence. Um, from 1993. Okay, I will. I'll go. I'll go into the plot. It's very long. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Con- condense it if yeah, you can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll try. <laughs> um. So we start in 1870s New York high society. Um. With a lawyer called Newland Archer, played by Daniel Day-Lewis. Um. And he's just got engaged to an innocent society maiden called May Welland, who's played by Winona Ryder. Meanwhile, May's cousin. Um, who's an American countess called Ellen Olenska, um, has returned to New York after a disastrous marriage to a Polish count. Because of this, she's ostracised by society and sort of vicious rumours are swirling around. But as her family sort of stand by her, she's gradually accepted back into the fold, as you were. Yeah, so Newland is engaged to May. Um, So because of this, he wants to shield Ellen from the scandal um, both in an official capacity as a lawyer and in an unofficial capacity because he's not only loyal to May and her family, because obviously a scandal will sort of ruin the whole family, but for Ellen himself as he's falling in love with her. Um, and while May can sense Newland is being distracted and suspects he is in love with someone else, which he denies, she is unaware of the true nature of, sort of Newland's feelings for Ellen. With Ellen... Ultimately, after a time sort of returning Newland's affections, um, he has to decide if his love for her is worth the risk to his own social standing, regardless of if she does divorce or staying married, which has its own issues. So kind a very long story short, um, <laughs> Newland marries May a lot quicker than he was supposed to because he sort of wants to escape his feelings for Ellen. Um, and at the same time, Ellen leaves New York Then after about a year, um, Ellen returns to care for her grandmother. Uh, She and Archer resume their friendship and then admit their love for each other. Um, They arrange to meet secretly to sort of consummate the relationship, but before the meeting can occur, um, Ellen announces her intention to return to Europe. Two weeks later, May throws a sort of farewell party for Ellen and after the guests leave, may tells archer that she's pregnant and admits that she told the countess this news two weeks earlier despite not being sure of it at the time and the implication being that may suspected newland's love for ellen and told ellen specifically to push her into returning to europe instead of pursuing archer so then ellen goes away to europe the years pass archer is 57 and has been a sort of dutiful loving father faithful husband they have four children Um, May has died of pneumonia and um, Archer's um, engaged son, Ted, persuades him to travel to Paris, where of course Ellen is, Um, and Ted has arranged for them to meet Ellen there but Archer hasn't seen her in like 25 years or whatever. Um, Ted confides to his father that May had confessed on her deathbed that she knew we were safe with you and always would be because once when she asked you you gave up the thing you wanted most, which is Ellen. Um, Archer responds, saying, she never asked me. And then that evening outside the Countess's apartment, um, Archer sends his son up alone to visit her, and then he sort of sits there and sort of recollects her time together with a very cheesy flashback scene. Um, and then he slowly walks off into the into the day, and that's it. I have no idea if I explained that well. That's kind sort of copied from, like, various internet sources and wikipedia yes no i
0: will say well explained because that yes it is like it is a long film with a lot of intricacies not necessarily intricacies but a lot of different things happening and characters
1: it's impossible to it's impossible to like explain the various like social like cues and interactions but that's sort of yeah so it's like a hidden you know hidden romance i gave it three stars what did you think
0: I, I i liked it a bit more than you i gave it three and a half it it never reached that level of like being a great film but look it was good um for what it was i enjoyed it um it's sort of like it's sort of like shadow island in the sense of it it's this different thing for scorsese right like he doesn't you know he doesn't really do romantic and if you call this like a period, period drama. drama yeah like from yeah. the 1870s yeah, it like it's drama. not you know he doesn't do, do that so this is also sort of out of character for him in a sense I mean, in terms of what I liked, I mean, again, technically, the costumes. I mean, you know, this is much more, you know, than Shadow Island was, you know, set. Like, Shadow Island was very much, like you said, the island and, you know, sort of a hospital, whereas this was set, you know, in, like, ballrooms and, and nice fancy apartments. And so I thought, like, you know, the sets and the costumes, you know, all these elaborate dresses and things all very great. You know, the score, the cinematography, the script, fantastic. Although I will say I didn't like that weird, like... I don't describe, it, but like you know, how sometimes it would zoom in on the characters and there'd be like this ring of light around them. I was like, that's so gimmicky. It just seems so cheap.
1: I'm gonna bring. I'm gonna bring that up. Yeah, I'm gonna bring that
0: up. Yeah, I'm like, really this Like, that seems so cheap. Like, it seems like a B grade movie thing. But that was. But apart from that, technically, it was fantastic. I didn't actually mind the narrator. Um, I don't think we actually ever told who the narrator is. As such it seems to be this.
1: She's a random woman. <laughs> I don't
0: know. <laughs> yeah, it's like a discombobulated voice of, of of no relation.
1: Maybe one what, what of high society. Women,
0: maybe i don't know but anyway i didn't actually mind the narration you know usually i hate narration but i thought it actually worked in a sense uh because it reminded me of like you know like those classic you know like i know well i guess technically this would be victorian wouldn't it? i mean i know america doesn't matter because they're not a monarchy but you know it, it it reminded me of those like victorian novels you know like where they often have a narrator um so i actually liked the narrator in this um And I I did feel like the narration added something. I felt like, you know, because they they gave a lot of background into, you know, New York High Society and this family means this and this family means that and here's what this would mean for that family and here's the scandal and blah, blah, blah. So it it, it did add to the story. In terms of acting, I thought Daniel Day-Lewis was great. Um, I thought Michelle Pfeiffer was great. Um, I wasn't the biggest fan of Winona Ryder.
1: Yeah, she got, I think she got an Oscar nomination, um, whereas I thought she was a bit wooden.
0: Um, yeah, well, yeah, I, 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 I thought the same, I, but I, I, also think that could have been her character and the writing for her character, as opposed to her. But she was, I mean, like the, the two main leads are great, and my only two like, like negatives, I guess, I did think it was too long. It was like two hours twenty minutes. Um, they could have cut 20, 30 minutes out of it in my mind, but it is also a period drama, so I know it does have to be very involved and long and blah blah blah. blah um and the other thing is just you know as i've said before i don't like films about cheating you know and this obviously revolved around a guy cheating on his to be wife with this other person
1: although he didn't he didn't um let's say act on it they didn't no no
0: and 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 he did but, obviously stay with and
1: he, yes. he remained a faithful yes. yeah yeah um,
0: but faithful. but again i sort of lay the blame at that more at the feet of evelyn war however you say oh no sorry i not ben. Uh, Edith Wharton, I should say, um, who was the author, as opposed to Scorsese, because he's just obviously adapting the source material.
1: Well, shall I go into my pros and cons? Yes. It's sort of similar to you in terms of the pros. Um, it, yeah, it looks stunning. So, like, the costumes, the set design, it really evokes that period. Super. So I, I don't know a lot about 1870s New York, um, but it, you know, but the costumes and the I think it won an Oscar for best uh, costume design. Um, which doesn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah as
0: it should have. Yeah, I gonna say like it's the same as you. I don't know much about video, but I imagine that's what it would look like.
1: Yeah, the cinematography was good. I thought some of the shots were—I don't know—they were just a bit like, and some of the lighting. There's a scene where Daniel Day Lewis like reads something, and there's like this sort of weird like box lighting on his eyes. Um, I thought it was a bit strange, and some of the editing I thought was kind of looked a bit cheap and tacky. I I don't know. Most of the cinematography, you know, it it was, it was good. I liked the whole theme of sort of um, Newland being like trapped in this sort of high society system and not being able to break out. Um, And the relationship with Ellen is sort of symbolic of this, like they love each other, but he isn't willing to break out of the societal norms, even if he wants to. And she's trapped because she's gone through a messy split with her husband, which hinders her socially so she can't divorce him because he's gonna say stuff about her. So it's sort of, I do like that theme of like forbidden love where two people can't be together because of various other factors at play. It's sort of, I guess it's like a criticism of high society, I suppose, where like things always go like unsaid or not spoken about. And like, I just think if things would be more just spoken about and said in a timely manner, then you wouldn't have these problems because, you know, Newland had to live his whole life loving another woman um just because of the rules and conventions of and it's sort of I've literally just thought of this now, but it's sort of a parallel to Prince Charles and Diana. Um, because he was also forced sort of I know Newland wasn't like forced to marry her, but like their families obviously it was sort of like a match. So like Charles was forced to marry Diana and that didn't lead to anything happy, let's say. So I think it's like a criticism of that sort of like forced conventions marriage type Style, I I guess, Um, and I really like the scene with Renona Ryder by the fireplace at the end when she reveals that she's pregnant. Um, Because, like, as the implication is that she knew that Newland was pursuing or loved Ellen, but she sort of she sort of did a boss move and like sent her away. You know, she was like, "I'm pregnant, leave." But at the same time, she had given him a chance, I guess. To like, she has said to him before, like, "You have time." Um, but I guess she sort of got tired and was like, "Nope, we're gonna we're gonna be married." Like I'm pregnant, you know. So I like that scene, and it shows she has like a strong sense of character and like a sense of urgency. Um, so I like that. As for the cons, this is it's interesting now because obviously you normally hate narration, and I normally don't mind it, but I found it so annoying in this film. Like it really took it really took me out of the world. Like. I just found it so unnecessary. I don't mind narration sometimes, but I just think it wasn't needed. Like I felt I was being spoon fed the plot like a baby. Like show me what's happening without narration, and that like you could have had the story without narration. I think, and that's fine. Like just see what's happening on screen with dialogue. And so I just like a- any time she was speaking, I was like, just just shut up, please. <laughs> so it's interesting we differ on that because I. I just found it to. I just. I know you said it. Yes, yeah, some stuff was like interesting background about the characters, like motivations and the high society and stuff. But I just think it wasn't like if you want that, do a bit of maybe background, you know, research. And I and I think it was kind of clear within the film anyway.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I mean, I'm probably with you. I mean, they could remove innovation, and I don't think it would be a worse film because of it. I I, I guess for me, I just liked that they sort of gave because I, I guess it's different than say well I was gonna say if it was a novel it is based off a novel it's based off the age of innocence by Ada Wharton so it's different I guess than a novel where you can go into oh well this family is important because of such and such and this family has connections to that family da, da, da. and I guess in a film you didn't have that luxury because you only have you know two hours or so I mean yeah I, I guess to me I I liked that it took that sort of thing that it would be in a novel and gave that background by way of narration. But I but I agree with your point, but they, they could remove it and the film wouldn't be any worse off.
1: Yeah, I, I can see why some people like it, but for me, take it out and it's, you know, fine. I guess my other main concern is, like, I found it to be a bit dull. Like, I was bored, I was bored by it some of the time and I just wasn't, I couldn't get fully into the story. Like, no, no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't be fully absorbed into the characters. Like I sort of watched it with sort of cold sort of detachment, I guess. <laughs> like when they were having their love scenes or in the you know, in the carriage when he's sort of caressing her and stuff. I was just like, it's well constructed, but I didn't feel about I couldn't get into it. Um so I like the whole like theme of societal expectations and stuff, but like the characters weren't dynamic enough for me to really Care and like I didn't buy Newland's love for Ellen that much. Maybe it's down to the chemistry between him and Michelle Pfeiffer. I don't know. Like I didn't care much by the end what was really happening. No, yeah,
0: I can get that. Right. I mean, I I was sort of the same. For me, it was probably more of a pacing issue in that it dragged and that thus I got bored. But um, yeah, no, I mean, I I think it is one of those films that maybe, I mean, look, I think Thursday did a good job of it, but I think it's one of those films that maybe. It maybe is like was better left as a book because maybe it would be more more interesting reading it as opposed to watching an adaptation.
1: Like the direction by Scorsese was was fine, you know. I I don't really it with Scorsese. It's more maybe the content and the perform. Like even Daniel Day Lewis, I don't know. I found him to be a bit dry. I don't know. Like maybe it was just the script or the or his chemistry with Michelle Pfeiffer. She was the best part of the film for me. I really liked her performance.
0: Yeah, I mean, she was really good, especially because I've really only seen her in like Scarface, which is obviously a very different role <laughs> to the Age of Innocence. So it was.
1: And I well, I've seen her in Batman as a um, Catwoman, oh, yeah. which is a wildly yeah, different role. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's it. For oh yeah, I've I put endless shots of food for no reason. Oh yeah, because it did have they that. they did a yeah. party, <laughs> there'd just be so many shots of like the food platters, and I'm like. We get it; it's a high society meal. We don't need endless shots of like the chandeliers and the and the food. But anyway, yeah, Um, yeah. The my sort of bottom line is I was very impressed with the technical elements, but like story wise, it kind of let me down a bit. But it but it's not a bad it's not a bad story. You know, it's it's constructed well, but it left me like emotionally a bit cold.
0: Yeah, I I would agree with that assessment, and uh, I would make a final point that. I think this, much like Shadow Island, is testament to Scorsese's talent and the varieties variety of his filmography and but he can make like for all the crime films he's made, he can make biographies like The Aviator, he can make kids' films like Hugo Musicals. The...
1: West Side Story. West Side Story I mean, music. He can
0: make comedies like After Hours. You know, he can do, like, religious stuff, like The Last Temptation of Christ or Silence, which obviously you and I have talked about in the podcast before. So, yes, he's very talented. As much as I may be guilty of and other people may be guilty of just thinking of him as, like, oh, he just does crime films. Like, like when you delve into his filmography, he's actually quite varied in what he's done, which is why he's one of the greats. Both you and I have got many more Scorsese films to work through, so we might end up talking about other Scorsese films in the future. <laughs>
1: yeah after hours is the one i'm sort of yet to see as major one but yeah definitely yeah, one of the greats one of the greats yeah
0: let's move on to our final pick uh which comes by way of jacob um his first pick for us as a co-host um so this is uh, bad boy bobby also from 1993 actually australian film um, directed by written and directed by Rolf de Heer and stars Nicholas Hope the eponymous Bobby. Um, there are obviously other people in it, but um, interestingly, nobody else in the cast has a Wikipedia article, so they must not be very important. So, yeah, so like the film is basically Nicholas Hope.
1: Is he is he like in Australia? Is he more well known like among people? Or... Um,
0: I mean, I'd not heard of him um that doesn't mean much but I mean I'd not heard of him and this was the only film of his that I've seen so not really he's not like a big name actor like you know Russell Crowe or you know Hugh Jackman or something no no um so again the plot is I feel like every film we ever talk about on the podcast ever has a confusing plot. Should, um, I don't think we've ever talked about yeah, a film yeah. that's like, this yeah. is really easy to explain straightforward <laughs> things. And so the plot is quite confusing. So I'll, I'll try and speak about it somewhat clearly. So Bobby, the character of Bobby is this 35 year old um, mentally challenged. It's the words Wikipedia uses uh, mentally challenged, 35 year old man. Um, and actually I, I might just do your trick here and read just read some of it straight off Wikipedia because it's too it's too confusing to try and explain, um, uh, who lives in a squalid house with his abusive and religious fanatic mother. Um, he's never left the house because his mother is convinced him that anything outside is, like, toxic. Um, and they have this very strange relationship. She's, like, very abusive to him and they have this, like, incestuous relationship. And it's just this very strange, bizarre thing between them. Anyway, his father, who he's never met, reappears... And him and the mother, uh, you know, like, rekindle their relationship after 35 years, because he never even knew he had a son. Um, And Bubby gets sick of the abuse and kills them uh, by suffocating them in cling wrap, uh, which is something he'd done earlier to the pet cat that he has. So his parents are dead, and he decides, well, I'm going to venture out into the outside world. Uh, where he's never been ever so the film basically follows him you know experiencing the world at 35 uh, as this mentally challenged man um and, you know he meets all these different people you know he meets this it's like rock band and he becomes friends with them they sort of send him to one of their friends to stay with while he's out to dinner with him he like fondles this woman's breast, and then he's like arrested, and so he's put into jail. And then he's let out of jail. He he goes back to his old house, and he he takes like his father's clothes and like assumes his father's personality. You know, he meets a rock band again. He sort of like becomes a part of a band by doing like because the thing is he's he's not. I'm trying to put this in a politically correct way. Like like it it it's a mix of his, I guess. I don't know what the word is in this day and age of how to describe, but his, his his mental whatever combined with the fact of he's not ever been in society, he doesn't really know how to talk.
1: He basically copies. He basically copies other people. He like adopts the mannerisms of other people.
0: Exactly. So all, all he so he, he joins a rock band. All he does to them is like repeat phrases he's heard other people say, which is all he does in his normal life anyway, because he doesn't. He was never like taught how to, like, speak properly or engage with people. Anyway, the film goes on, he, he comes across, he, somehow, which is a point I'm going to bring up later, he comes across this, like, care home, um, for people with, like, disabilities, uh, and he, he sort of, uh, becomes friendly with one of the nurses there, and they sort of, you know, enter into a relationship, and, well, then he kills her parents, um, which she doesn't seem all that upset about, because they were, you know, abusive to her, um, so he kills her parents as well as, you know, sort of like a, you know, if this wasn't a this wasn't a black comedy film, you know, you'd think it was a horror with the amount of bodies he racks up. And the film ends, you know, with uh, him and this nurse angel, you know, having kids and him going on to live a seemingly normal life. Uh, so I, I probably made the film sound far more normal than it is. Um, it is not in any sense a... a normal film and as a result as we were saying before we started recording i have an intense dislike a hatred even of films that are weird and strange and you know experimental and avant-garde and blah blah blah, blah. whereas
1: i i like i like some we are opposite spectrums there because i tend to <laughs> like i i like all sorts of films so anything that you know i that i click with i like um so, yeah. um
0: so i gave it half a star unsurprisingly uh as yeah, i i knew again
1: <laughs> from 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 the first in the first two minutes i said i didn't even have to google the plot or watch the film i said Jason is giving us half a star, so I knew what I was in for.
0: And you know, that's sort of the way it is with these films Jacob's picking. You know, I gave his film last last episode one star. Um, I'll you know, I'd, I I won't give away my rating yet for his film for the next episode, but I didn't think very highly of that either.
1: Wait, which which one which one was that? Persona. Oh, Corey, cool. yeah, okay, yeah, yeah sorry. But
0: yeah. that was more of a confusion as opposed to the actual story. But anyway, that will be, you'll have to wait to episode 39 to hear that discussion. But um, yeah, so I gave it half a star. Um, I hated it. Uh, what did, what, I'm, um, now I know nothing about what, know, you, okay. what you, you know, I, I, I know you watched it obviously, but I know nothing about yeah. what you think about it. So I'm, I'm keen to hear I what guess, do you think
1: about it? I suppose, unsurprisingly, I'm more Jacob- on this one (laughs) Um, i gave it three and a half stars wow okay so i i i yeah i really liked it
0: you won't get this because you're not australian but jacob will get it and any other australian listeners will get it and i will quote a very famous australian quote please explain
1: please explain (laughs) i will try and explain (laughs) um look i thought it was a very weird but like ultimately entertaining and kind of heartwarming, in a weird sort of way, film about a man who's sort of discovering the world for the first time. Um, I thought it had very interesting views about its messaging about sort of acceptance and sort of learning about how shit people can be, how nice people can be, um, how you can sort of be accepted into a group that sort of likes you and sort of understands you. I thought that the first act is quite tough to get through. Like, it is very strange. But once you get, but that's part of the point because you see how Bubby is being abused and what his sort of worldview is like. And then once Bubby is free, the sort of viewer is free too, and the film sort of starts to open up a lot more. Like the tone shifts from sort of total uncomfortable awkwardness to dark comedy a bit more. The first half hour will appeal to people looking for a bit of a weird and trashy film, um, but it's kind of the staging ground for something a bit more expansive and sophisticated, I guess. I I just liked how when he finally gets to explore, he's sort of finding out about the world. Um, And some of the comedy for me came from the fact that he has no identity of his own. So he starts to sort of take on the mannerisms and sayings of people he meets and it kind of makes for some funny and quite dark scenarios. Yeah, I just thought the ending was kind of wholesome. (laughs) You know, he finally settles down with this disabled group and he meets Angel who sort of understands him a bit more. Um, and then he has kids, and it's always, you know, I thought know i didn't expect it to go that sort of light hearted towards the end. The cinematography uh the quite interesting fact is that thirty two different cinematographers worked on different scenes of the film to sort of create the effect that Bobby is experiencing new things for the first time to sort of emphasize how messed up his mental state is, so I thought that was sort of i thought I thought that was a good idea personally um I thought Nicholas Hope was good. Soundtrack I thought was good. And another fact is that mics were attached to like both of Nicholas Hope's ears. So like when you hear, you basically hear what he is hearing for the first time. So I thought that was good as well. I found it quite slow at first, but you know, I got into it after about 20 minutes. So that was fine. I couldn't, I obviously couldn't quite connect or relate with Bobby because I've never obviously had that happen to me (laughs) before, but no one has. But I could, looking from an outside perspective, I understood what he was going through and I could sympathize with the wider theme of sort of coming of age and sort of understanding the world for the first time sort of thing. Yeah, that's my thoughts. You you hated it. Do you want to explain?
0: I'm very surprised to hear that you liked it. I, I sort of thought that... Well, I don't know. I I, I mean, it's
1: got... On Letterboxd, it's on a 3.7. So it's yeah, widely... Well.
0: We all know Leatherbox people. I have no clue what they're talking about. <laughs> <No, down>, <laughs> disagree. <laughs> disagree. <laughs> but uh, I know, I just, I know you're more accepting of weird offbeat stuff than I, and obviously Jacob is probably more accepting than both of us of that sort of thing, um, as probably was Christian to a degree. I don't know. I just, I thought it might be too weird for you or too strange.
1: No, but no, because I, you know, the, the start admittedly is very strange i mean i've seen stranger stuff <laughs> um in film
0: i mean don't you list them all obviously but like if you had to throw out a you know a, like a, a couple of films a few films that were like weirder than this i'm keen to hear what they are because this was
1: salo salo yes
0: yeah okay that, that's fair yeah
1: <laughs> if i go on my sort of um let's say i've got a list on letterboxd where I look at some disturbing, like, I wouldn't even say this was after the first first thirty minutes. I wouldn't even say it was disturbing. Like I at no point, at no point. There's... Yes, it was. It was strange, so weird, disturbing, bizarre. Let's see. So yeah, Salo Blue Velvet is pretty weird. The Devils is probably a bit more shocking. House, the uh, Japanese one, that's fucking weird. Um, but good. Lair of the White Worm. There's Martyrs. You know, there's there's, for me, there are ones that um I found more, like, if anything, I found this, like, the, it's not, I didn't find it shocking. Yes, the, again, I'm repeating myself. The first 30 minutes is shocking, but I think it's, it's not pointless. Like, it's showing what he's, what Bubby is having to deal with before he ventures into the outside world. So, like, it, it's a strange film, but I didn't find it off-putting or, like, too weird like i warmed to bubby over the course of the film
0: yeah i did not <laughs> so uh look i would start off with positives but i did even though i did give it half star i do think there were a few like positives so i, I do think there were like a few redeeming moments in it that i sort of thought you know were you know interesting scenes or funny scenes or whatever so i thought like when they're in the back of that truck and and, and then make, make up that song you know bad boy bubby blues you know, that, that brought a smile to my face. Um, the only smile, I'd say. As probably. did.
1: <laughs> no? <laughs> well,
0: no, because then that scene with the two, the two Aboriginal women in the police station, them, like, arguing with the police officers, I just found it funny. Oh, just, like, yeah. going back and forth yep. with each other. Like, where, where yeah, and, you know, the police officer's like, oh, you know, you, you, you should get that head cut scene to you. And, and she's just like, get fucked. You know, like, <laughs> that, that did make me laugh. Um because that's just how people in Australia talk in general. It's just like, so I could, I was just picturing that, like I could see that happening today, you know? And it's not even like, I'm not even saying it's like an Aboriginal thing, like that would be anybody, you know? Just like, so that scene did make me laugh just because of the back and forth between those two and, and the police officers. Um And I, I, I do think, the two other scenes I call out. I do think the scene where that guy is talking about God, like, so he's, this is a guy called The Scientist who, I will say, plays the organ in the church very well. I was looking at like, is that a real song? It wasn't. It was just actually improvisation, but it was very, it was very nice to listen to. Um, uh, when he's talking about God, you know, and God is not real, and you know this stuff, I, I did think that was a well-written scene um, of his speech. I mean, I may be biased because I'm an atheist, but I, I did think that was a that was a well-written scene. And I will say the the concert scene where he's, you know, like. Like, not, not the first time he gets up on stage with a band, but, like, the second, and when he's, like, back, you know, he's, like, an established member of the band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, like, absurdly funny to me, that scene. <laughs> like, in just of yeah. him just said saying all this stuff in all these different voices, and, like, the camera was zooming in, and like, the visuals, you know, that red background. Like, I loved, like, that shot, that shot of him with that, like, red background, that was, like, the shot of a film for me. That was a fantastic shot.
1: Yeah, that was a was that not the Because that was my favourite scene, one of them. Was that not the first scene where he's where it zooms in and the reds and the lights are flashing on his face and the red background? Was that not the first one? But anyway, yeah, that's a great shot. Yeah, that's a great shot.
0: Yeah, that was that was a fantastic shot. I will give it that. And I will say the score was good as well. I did like the score. I loved the repeated inclusion of um Ombra um, My which is from it's also known as Lago from Xerxes because it's from a, an opera called Circe by Handel. Um yeah, I I loved that inclusion of that throughout. Um so it, it wasn't it wasn't without its and, and and I will also say Nicholas Hope I did fault put in a good performance as did the rest of the cast I can't really fault any of the acting it all just came across very natural to me so I guess I probably was being harsh with half a star
1: you see here hearing this I would have I would put your rating more at like two two and a half because you seem as you like some things
0: I did but it was just too fucking weird for me man like it was just too but,
1: but, but do you do you equate when you say weird. Like, do you equate weird as automatically bad? Because if something is weird, some, if something's weird, it doesn't mean it's bad. Do you do you know what I mean? Like weird weird things can be good as well. Like if I like I half of the films on my disturbing watch just are weird as fuck. But I love them because they're weird and they're more out there. <laughs> so like, do you just think weird bad or
0: Pretty much, like,
1: pretty much, like, <laughs> I don't, yeah. I, I think I struggle. For me personally, I struggle to sort of um understand. I like I can't, you know, get behind that viewpoint because I, you know, if something has quality, <laughs> I still like it. Okay, but... so
0: I will say there are some weird films that I do like, right? So I think, and I, and I know you actually don't like this film coming up, but this is a is a weird film, and I fucking love it. Clockwork Orange, right? That's a totally weird film, but I hold up as one of the best films ever. The Lighthouse, um, I wouldn't say it's one of my favourite films, but certainly that was a great film. Weird. Suspiria, the remake, I haven't seen the original. I know you hold the original up there very highly. I haven't seen it. But the remake, which I actually discussed on the podcast, um... Way back when, um, that was very weird. It was good. I wouldn't say it was anything beyond good, but it was good. But it was very strange. So I know I can do weird at times, but I'm just, I I know myself. I'm not a fan of that weirdness. You know, I like just a normal. As I've said before, I like a normal, straight drama film. You know, like I would much rather pick something like The Age of Innocence any day over Bad Boy bubby You know, or or like a thriller or a crime or whatever. I, I just, I don't know, it's just something about me, I just can't deal with weird, you know, and and, and and this will obviously be touched upon next episode when Jacob and I talk about Persona, which is even, like, you know, Bad Boy Bobby is weird in, like, essentially, Persona takes that to, like, ten times, you know, <laughs> that, but... <laughs> I, was
1: thinking, I mean, this, this has a narrative, this has yes. a narrative thread. Yeah,
0: it, I, I, I guess it was just it too as well. offbeat and, like, strange for me to, like, get into, I, I can't deal with quirky weird I, I just I, I just don't respond to it and and this is the thing like in terms of what I didn't like it was just I mean it's just like a fact that it was weird that's sort of I mean that's sort of what I'm saying but like yeah you know, even there were points like did you find out where like the visuals like it would be like a normal shot and then like they distort and it would be like this weird like angle or it would be like this sort of stretched image if that makes sense you know what I mean like
1: well I think I think that goes I think that goes back to what I'm saying with um they had over 30 different cinematographers work on it, because I think the what they were trying to do is give the impression that his worldview is changing all of the time, and it's getting distorted with all these new locations and characters, so as he goes through the film, ev- each location and place and people feel different, so they were using different cinematic techniques for that, so I think that partly explains why some of the shots were strange
0: i have a question before i get on to my next point how did he like i don't get how he came across that care home in with the disabled like did he just people. like wander yeah like did he just wander in there like it was he
1: was he was sitting he was sitting on the bench and um angel you know the character angel she she was walking the disabled girl can't remember, can't remember her name and then she got chatting with him and said like where like What's your name, blah, blah blah blah, where do you come from? She took him back to the disabled home and because he because he had nowhere to go. So she I don't know I don't know if you remember that scene, but she basically picked him up in a park and took him back there. That's how he gets there. He doesn't just wander in. Like he meets Angel he meets Angel walking the disabled girl. I mean, I, I like sorry, I know you're gonna go on to the next point, but I liked the whole disabled home scene. I liked it because he sort of... It was him finally being accepted into some place that the staff understood him. He's mentally challenged, so Angel understood him. And with the disabled people, it's someone that he... Like, he he, he actually understands them. So it's sort of a community where he can settle and be away from the outside world with everyone who doesn't understand him and thinks he's weird. Um, like, that, for example, when he's singing the People in the crowd only love him because he's acting kind of strange and weird, right? He's saying all this weird shit. If they spoke to him normally, he they'd pretty punch him or go, you know, fuck off. These
0: are exactly you stole the exact words out of my, my mouth, <laughs> yeah. But
1: when he's with people that accept him, like Angel, who knows struggle from her family as well, and with the disabled people, he feels more accepted and that and sort of understood, and that's. You know, that's an aspect that I liked. So, yeah, what, what was your next
0: point? Yeah, so one of my points was what you've just said, was maybe the 1970s were a different time. Nobody.
1: Do you mean the,
0: do you mean the 90s? No, the 70s. It was said in the 70s. Oh,
1: oh was it? Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs>
0: so, yeah, maybe the 70s were a different time. Obviously, nobody on this podcast whether a regular co-host or a guest has ever, you know, we none of us lived through the 70s. So maybe it was a different time. Maybe it was really like this. Maybe I'll ask my parents about it. You know, they might confirm for me. But I highly doubt that, like what you said, this, you know, that Bobby would get, you know, all these people coming out in the pub to see him perform what is basically like very strange beat poetry sort of thing, like spoken word.
1: I mean, it was, it was kind of entertaining. <laughs> like, I, yeah,
0: it's like the more likely thing is they'd boom off a stage and probably bash him once he gets outside, you know.
1: No but, what no, but what I'm saying is on stage, because it was a weird thing, he was like appreciated and they were clapping and stuff, but like in real, like once he was, I know, I, I know the band accepted him, but like was, and there was that nice lady in like the coffee shop, but like wider society probably wouldn't because he's so odd
0: after his upbringing yeah well yeah i guess my point is i don't even feel like on stage he would have been accepted i feel like on stage people in 1970s australia or 1970s anywhere outside of maybe you know i don't know san francisco or something or some place where that sort of thing happened regularly you know they'd be like who the fuck is this guy get him off the stage you know so i I know know,
1: people go for weird shit (laughs) people go for weird shit yeah i
0: know i i i just found it kind of disingenuous and even even the thing of like the rock band accepting him you know i'm like no like the more logical thing is they were like oh we're short of money and we found out this guy is this famous cling wrap killer and there's a fifty thousand dollar award let's report him and get the money because we're broke not like oh no he's a he's our friend now and we're gonna put in we'll just give him i'm like no, logic would dictate those people would be ringing up the police like that, and they'd be getting that fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> like,
1: yeah, but that, but that's that's your that's your thinking. Like, some people they they liked him, so they what he was successful in the band, so to them he was probably more value to them as like you know sort of a friend and in the band than getting the money. So again, it's a case of you. <laughs> you're th- sort of thinking to sort of, um maybe yeah. sort of this this would happen in real yes. life sort of
0: thing. But, but this is my point too, and this is why I dislike films like this, because this is real life. Uh, this is the point. This is supposed to be real life. I, I get that he's obviously, Bubby has come from a strange circumstance, but this is very much set in the real world. And so that's why I'm thinking, well, these people's actions in my opinion, and like I said, I didn't live through the 70s, so I don't know. I could be completely wrong. But their actions don't in my mind jive with how people in the real world would react in my opinion but i also am a cynic and so maybe you know it's just my world view that i'm like oh these people wouldn't welcome him into the band and these people wouldn't come out to see him you know performing this band
1: i think it's just meant to show the sort of human experience of anything like people are so wildly deaf like he sort of received the whole spectrum or like, he got Raped in a prison, um, that some people treated him nicely. The did, the policeman punched him. Like he had different experiences of what the human experience can offer. Yeah, and and, and obviously
0: his mother and father like, were you know yeah not very nice to him either Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah i mean yeah. i don't know what else we can <laughs> say. so
0: before i get to my final point i'll just say this is the third wolf to hear film that i've seen oh um and i've other... yet to like any of them so the, other two? <laughs> so the other two were um I mean, they've actually starred the same guy which is let me just get his name original actor called david Golpilil. uh so one was uh the Tracker from 2002 and the other was Charlie's Country from 2013. Um, I didn't like either of those. I gave them one star. And if I was being generous, I probably could give Bad Boy, but one star. Um, so I, I, I'm not a fan of all of the here, based off of three films I've seen of his. Um, but my final point would be, and I've actually, I've got a few quotes here I'll read first, and then I'll get into my point, is, is you know, what was the point of a film, all right? So I've, I've read, I, I found a few quotes online, which, attempt to explain it and then I'll sort of talk about what I think uh, because obviously that's the most important Um, so uh, one person said uh, put simply uh, bad boy Bobby is Forrest Gump on bath salts imbued with pitch black humor instead of sickly treacle another person said the movie is essentially a character study uh, of a very bizarre individual true Uh, uh, but also invites interpretation as a fable about the process of growing up and discovering purpose in life And another person said, uh, he, he being lofty to here, conceived the film as a parable about child abuse, Uh, but the material was too dark, he's a child actor, understandably. Um, So Bobby became an adult man who's been mistreated for 35 years. Uh, Bobby is an innocent, even though he actually kills four people in the film, he's incapable of understanding his crimes. So my final point would be, I feel like the best way to, to sum up, I guess, my reaction to this film is... It was an interesting concept, but it didn't execute it, I guess, in the way that I felt it should have. Now I have looked, not in a professional capacity, of course, but like browsing on Wikipedia and down internet rabbit holes of, you know, people raised in captivity, right? Because that's a very, you know, it's an interesting, you know, I've I've always said that if I if I didn't work as a journalist, I would have loved to have been a sociologist because I think people are so interesting, and, and you look at these these cases, you know, they're rare thankfully but these cases of, of people and, you know, children who were who were raised in captivity and you get very, you know, interesting learnings out of it. But it didn't for me like that's a really interesting idea, but it didn't bring anything like new or interesting to it in that regard. You know, the point of it was like, oh, well, this guy has been sequestered from civilization for the first thirty five years of his life and he goes out into the real world and he's fucked up. Well yeah, anybody who was went through that for the first 35 years of their life would be fucked up so it didn't it didn't I I felt like it it had the potential to be a really interesting film had it leaned more into I guess that psychological sociological side of it as opposed to embracing this weirdness if it went more into maybe a darker territory or maybe a more introspective territory as opposed to like trying to be a black comedy. And Oh, isn't Bobby weird? Ha ha ha. I thought it would be more interesting. Like there's a, and I I always come back to this, this case when I think about like, you know, this sort of thing, there's a, it's actually um, on Wikipedia, a feral child, that's the terminology there called Jeannie. Jeannie is a pseudonym, that's not her real name. I'll just read off Wikipedia here. Um, He was a victim of severe abuse, neglect, and social isolation. Um her circumstances are prominently recorded in the annals of linguistics and abnormal child psychology, and she was basically like Bobby in that she um she didn't really speak i mean Bobby can speak obviously, yeah, she didn't really speak she didn't she didn't acquire language during her childhood she was abused um and she wasn't like rescued as such until she was nearly fourteen years old um and then, you know, psychologists spend a lot of time studying and everything else. I would I would highly advise anybody to go and look up it on Wikipedia or elsewhere. It's you know, there's a very long detailed article on Wikipedia about it under Genie in brackets, Feral Child. Um and there's a lot of things online about it. And I, I've always I always I find myself routinely thinking about genie because it's such an interesting case and it's such an interesting Concept and so I'm just of the opinion that you look at a case like a genie, which is similar to bad boy, you know, Bobby in a way. Um, I don't know if if you know, we here based anything of Bobby's character off genie because genie, you know, this was obviously a film for the 90s. Uh, you know, genie, you know, she was born in 1957 and so I guess she was, you know, rescued in well, she was rescued in November 1970, that's what it says here. Um so I don't know if he was inspired by that at all, and there have been other cases of, like, you know, children raised in captivity, you know, before and after Genie. Um, But I'm just of the opinion that it, it, had, it had a potential to be a really interesting film had it sort of gone more into that sort of straight drama, like, darker territory, sort of psychological, sociological slant, as opposed to taking this, like, like I said, sort of black comedy element oh Bubby's weird he doesn't know how to act in society oh you know I'm like it like I, I look at it and I'm like it had something really interesting and it sort of lent into for me what wasn't a very interesting area and I felt like it was sort of a wasted opportunity in that sense
1: fair enough yeah I mean I don't have much uh, I suppose we're just looking for different yeah, uh, yeah I suppose we are looking for different yeah yeah. Things like I enjoyed the kind of absurdity of the situations, and I thought it still dealt with it in a mature way. It didn't. It didn't reduce Bubby to sort of a total laughing stock. Like it treated him with sympathy as well. It wasn't just ha ha, look at Bubby, he's mentally disabled. Like it did. You know, it treated him in a more mature way than just laughing at him. Um But there's, it has a lot of the message that even the most like unlovely people can be loved and be loved as well, you know, like even those that might not be understood by society um, can sort of, yeah, sort of understand and be understood. Yeah. So I found a I found a review on letterboxd, um, just quite a good quote. Um, um, even those that might not be understood by society can understand that the human garbage and wreckage that is tossed by the wayside is no different than the garbage that stays on the table just because they're nice to look at or drive expensive cars or preach empty messages louder than most. Bobby is proxy for all the unfortunates who are judged for superficial reasons, um, so I think it does carry quite an important message. It just chose to do it in yeah a less dramatic, straight dramatic way, and more a sort of dark comedy, absurdist type tale. So it's all about what you want out of it, I suppose. Um, so yeah, I know, I know, I know now what not to pick for you. So maybe Jason, <laughs> maybe sorry, Jacob will learn I mean no I I think yeah. you'll keep picking weird shit but They'll uh, keep picking weird that's shit, okay I'll just yeah. keep
0: giving up low ratings and uh never between shall meet so <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> so uh I think that wraps up episode 38 thanks everyone for tuning in as always if you enjoyed today's episode we'd love it if you could give us a rating on apple podcasts or spotify and we'll see you next week